are now listening to Wisdom from North podcast with me, Jannike Einias. Here I will explore topics such as metaphysics, spirituality, personal growth, and in general, how we can create good lives for ourselves. My intention is to find some answers, but perhaps more importantly, finding new questions to ask, because there is always something new to discover in this wonderful universe that we live in. In Wisdom from North, we're passionate about helping you take your spiritual growth to that next level. That's why we are collaborating with some amazing spiritual teachers and partners who offer free webinars and classes. Go to wisdomfromnorth.com forward slash free. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the guests and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of Wisdom from North or any entities they may represent. Now, please enjoy the episode. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Anna Christina. A warm welcome to the show. Hi, Yannicka. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy and excited that you came onto the show to share a really unique and uh, powerful story and also a powerful message that you have, especially to souls, you say, who have been murdered uh, by their husbands or spouses, whose voices never are heard. And you have written a book about this, My Sweet Encounter with Death. You've had a near-death experience and you've experienced being murdered yourself. And I got to say, I've never, ever had anyone on the show with that kind of story. Uh, but I'm a curious soul and I would like to dig deeper and deeper. And when I came across your book and your interviews, I just felt that this is a story that needs to be heard. And also recognizing in myself, having met narcissists, I also identified with your story. And I think a lot of empaths and sensitives 
have the experience of meeting narcissists. So I just want to commend you for sharing this. Thank you. Um, Yeah, this my story kind of speaks to a lot of people. I find viewers and readers find themselves in one part of my story, which is sad, you know. And then this uh, amazing and horrible incident happened. So take us through it. I know it's quite a long story and it's an important story to share. So I would love to to hear about it. Okay, so just a little bit about the background. Like I said, born to a Coptic Christian family in Alexandria, Egypt, went to, my dad took us to Canada. Um, When I was about six or seven, uh, because my younger brother was mentally handicapped and we wanted to get him better help. Um, so we went there. Then my father brought us back to Egypt when I was about, oh my gosh, 10 to 14, so that we learn about our culture in Egypt and not forget it. Had problems with the Arabic language because my teaching were English and French. Brought me a tutor, very handsome man, fell in love with him, Sam. And then my father sent me back to Canada, sent us all back to Canada. I stayed connected with Sam. Uh, We were both in love. We kept communicating, sending letters. I would meet him when I would go to Egypt on dates behind my family, of course, because my family was very conservative in Egypt. We don't date before you get engaged or married, Uh, basically before you get engaged. Um, around 20 years old, uh, Sam asked for my hand from my father and my father, even though my father really liked Sam, but he said it was over his dead body, um, because Sam was not Christian. Sam was Muslim. And in Egypt, you don't, uh, co-marry, I guess it would not be good. So I, I love my father a lot and respected him. He was a very well-known person in Egypt. So uh, I knew I had to move on, Moved, uh, ended up coming to California, met my husband, Paul, who courted me, was just out of nowhere, uh, you know, was just this... Um, he basically treated me like a queen. I didn't fall in love with him, but I felt... The way he treats me, I will eventually eventually fall in love with him. Um, but it didn't take long. It was right after the honeymoon that I saw what I got myself in. Um, Paul was a very selfish person, life-centered around him, um, just uh, an emotional manipulator uh, just broke my spirit. He was actually the, he's the typical narcissist. But back then, we didn't know in the 80s. Uh, we didn't know what narcissist was. It wasn't even in my vocabulary. So uh, I thought it was always me. You know, narcissists make you feel like it's your, you are the problem. You're the one that's wrong. Constant emotional back and forth. And like I said, broke my spirit, broke like the toxicity in the house. And um, but I had two beautiful children from Paul. So that was the blessing I got. I got Colleen and I got Andrew. Uh, But I wanted to get out of the marriage. It took me 13 years. Paul always threatened to kill me if I would leave. He threatened to slit my throat once. 
the other time he threatened uh, if I hired the lawyer, he would hire a sniper and take me out. And he felt wow. comfortable about doing that. And he threatened in front of people. And when it was in front of my cousins and they said, Paul, what are you saying? And he said, you know, if she leaves me, I'll lose my mind and no judge will hold me accountable. And he believed in that. Uh, so I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but finally I found a no-nonsense lawyer that got me a restraining order and removed uh, Paul from the house. And I wanted just to concentrate on raising my children in a where I can concentrate on them and not have my energy constantly depleted in this emotional back and forth. He could go months without talking to me, like not even saying good morning or good night. That's the kind of toxicity I was living around. He was never temperamental, but just knew how to just break you. And I'm a very emotional person. Um, got out of this relationship and out of nowhere, I get a phone call from Sam, the tutor that I was in love with. And um, at that point, I had become, like I said, a born again Christian. Didn't think I was going to get involved with the Muslim. Didn't want to. But we met in Egypt when I was visiting my mom. And what I thought I had guards around my heart, all these guards fell when I met him. And we fell in love again. And it felt like we never got separated. Um, he was like that perfect gentleman. I was looking for the, the listening person, the kind, the, just all the things I missed with Paul. Um, we got married. The kids loved him. Um, he didn't practice Islam. He was actually coming with me to church here in California, to Calvary Church. I was the breadwinner. He couldn't get a good job here because of the language. He took care of the home, the cooking, just taking care of everything, and I didn't mind. Um, and we had, when I thought we had a good marriage for about like nine years, but there were some flags started to happen and um, we went through an ugly custody battle but when the flags happened um, and I can't go into too much detail because of the time I knew I needed to get out I needed to get out but I was still in love with him but I needed to get out there was wrong things happening and I got on my knees and I prayed to God and I asked him to remove this man from my life but not to break me because like I said, I was still, um, I was like addicted to him, to his love, to his, the way he was caring for me and everything. And a lot of people think addiction is to drugs or alcohol. A lot of times we're addicted to the wrong person, the, the wrong partner. Um, and we don't even realize, it. I didn't realize it. I was an executive thinking I knew it all. Um, so, after about nine years, it was 2008, I talked to him about getting um, an amicable divorce, um, which we could do. We went to court, he agreed. And since we don't have any children, any assets between us, it's uh, a divorce. If you don't contest it in six months, it's done without any lawyers. So that's what we did in December of 2008. Excuse me. And, and I thought I was going to be done in six months. But 
right oh when we filed for divorce in the courthouse he asked me to stay in the house uh for about three weeks he didn't have a place to go and i didn't want to just kick him out um so i said i agreed uh he stayed with us we hadn't told the kids that we filed for a divorce i wanted everything to be final before we tell them uh and this i i just didn't want an emotional turn uh like with the kids i just wanted them to think everything is fine and then um sam stayed with us we had a two-bedroom condo colleen was living with us at the time she had a room i had my bedroom where sam was still sharing but he was on his side and i was on my side and it was around here like christmas time colleen went uh to be with her dad and i started feeling aches and pain all over my body out of nowhere like i usually feel aches and pain i have fibromyalgia but this was like debilitating uh, and the headache I started the head I just couldn't move my head just blinking like you see me blink a lot now when I blink the pain which just I, I, I couldn't move my I just sat on the couch and couldn't move couldn't go to work it's year end at work as a CFO it's important for me to be there but I was just too sick to move finally Sam agreed to take me to ER to uh, urgent care. They took me there. Uh, they didn't run any tests. They assumed I'm coming down with the flu and they gave me painkiller and told me to just rest. And uh, I came home and the painkiller helped with the headache, but then Sam started to give me his blood pressure medicine. And I didn't have blood pressure, but he said, this will help your head. And it did. It just brought down uh, the headache. The headaches to the point I was able to function and decided to go to the office. So on January 8th in the morning, I'm driving on the freeway, going to my office. And on the freeway, I'm, I get a vision. Now, as I told you earlier, I was not religious, I was not spiritual, I was not this holy person that gets visions, nothing. And it was the first time I see a vision in my life. And in that vision, I saw death. I saw somebody dying in my immediate family. It was, I saw my sisters, I saw one brother, but I didn't see the younger brother, Steve. And I assumed that it was his death, it was his funeral, and God is warning me to, to go see him, that he was going to die. So I took that as a message from God, and I thought that was sweet from God to warn me. So I decided, once I went in the office, I spoke to the CEO, I told him my brother uh, is ill, or I needed to go see him. Uh, and he said, fine. Uh, I told him I'll take my computer, I'll be available. I pulled my staff in uh, and had a meeting with all of them, started delegating as much as I could. But as I'm doing that and as the day is passing, I'm getting, you know, the headache. And I, I remember sitting at my desk, holding my head like that, not wanting it to explode. And as I'm holding my head like that, 
I get this message. I don't know how at the time, but it said, stop thinking and go home. It was like an order. Just stop thinking and go home. And I did just that. So I looked at my staff and I told them I'm really tired. It was Friday and I wasn't sure I had booked a ticket for Saturday and Sunday. And I thought this was going to be my last day, but I told them, you know, I have to go home now. I'll come tomorrow. We'll have a meeting and then I'll fly out Sunday. And I got in my car, drove home. And as I get out of my car and now I'm walking towards my condo, I hear this voice, uh, a real voice distinct and clear, just like I'm talking to you now. And that voice, as soon as I heard it, I recognized who it was and it was the Holy Spirit. Now, I keep saying, I don't know how I recognize it was the Holy Spirit because I never connected to the Holy Spirit. I connected to Jesus uh, all my life. I connected to God the Father, but I didn't get the Holy Spirit. I, you know, I hear about him, uh, but I didn't get it. I, I remember in movies, he was like a dove that came and went. In church, they say, Holy Spirit, come on us. So I felt it was just something coming and going and flying and didn't get him. So I ignored him. Uh, I didn't connect with him at all. But yet here he's talking to me and I know exactly who he is. He is. And he didn't say, I'm the Holy Spirit. No, he just started sp speaking to me in a very gentle and kind, just the sweetness about him. But right away, he kind of did this, which meant for me to keep my mouth shut, meaning I was not to share what was happening, the dialogue he's having with me, I could not share, I could not talk about it. So I kept on walking, I got up to our uh, condo, Sam answered the door and the first thing he said, are you leaving tomorrow or are you leaving Sunday? And I said, I don't know, I can't think right now, I'll let you know tomorrow. He said, okay, go, uh, go get ready. Like he knows when I come, at home, I have to take off my clothes and uh, wear comfortable clothes. He said, I'll warm up dinner and come and have dinner. I said, fine. And Colleen came out and said, hi, mom, how is your day? And ran back to her bedroom where she spent most of her life there. Um, I went to change into my pajamas, came and not understanding what's happening. The dialogue is still there with the Holy Spirit. I come to the kitchen and Sam had left a plate for me for dinner. He made me my favorite Egyptian dish, which is French green bean casserole with meat and rice. I, I love that dish. But I, I was standing there, the counter is in front of me and the fridge is behind me. But I'm realizing I have no appetite, like I've been sick, no appetite, I can't eat these French beans, it had tomato sauce in it. So I put that back and then I'm looking at my plate and I'm looking at a, a dry rice sitting there and I'm contemplating how am I gonna even eat that? I really don't wanna eat it. And then the Holy Spirit, out of nowhere, it goes, child, turn around, open the fridge and get the plain yogurt 
and put it on your rice. And I'm going, come again? Like, you care about the yogurt I put on my rice? <laughs> and his response was, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. And Yannicka, when he said that, first, right away, my brain went, oh, my God, he's been in the shower with me. I got embarrassed. But right away, I, I started feeling shame. Shame that I'm discovering this being, this loving being who's talking to me, and he's been in every little detail of my life, and I didn't even know him. I ignored him, didn't even recognize him, didn't pay attention, didn't, I missed out on it. I was 48 at the time. And I missed out on this companion that's with me in every, it was really, um, I felt foolish, I felt ashamed, I felt regret. And here I am discovering this, but I can't speak. I can't tell anybody. I, I felt like I want to tell the whole world, hey, you guys, guess what, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't speak and I'm discovering. So I just did what he said, brought the yogurt, plain yogurt. And that's how I love eating my rice. Actually, that was my dinner last night. I, I love rice and plain yogurt. That's how we eat our rice in Egypt. And I did it. And I took my plate, sat on the couch and started eating and the Holy Spirit is still with me. And he, he, I remember he cracked a joke. He had a beautiful sense of humor. And I started giggling. And uh, Sam looked at me. And even he thought I stopped. He goes, did you stop at a bar on your way here? And I just looked at him. And I didn't want to break that beautiful dialogue that I had with the Holy Spirit. Um, so I finished my plate, the whole rice. And I got up, put it in the sink, went and said goodnight to Colleen and went to bed, went, brushed my teeth, confused a little bit, not knowing what is happening. Why is he talking to me? What's going on? Excuse me. And I get into bed and as I'm lying there with all these questions and he goes, child, it's not your brother. It's you. Hmm. And I don't think, Yanaka, anybody is ready to hear those words. I wasn't ready. I did not go to bed realizing this was my last time. It, it was, I don't think any of us are ever ready to hear that it's us, it's me. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. Um. And my heart got really heavy. And because all I could think of is Colleen waking up in the morning and finding her mom dead in bed. And that broke my heart. I just couldn't imagine putting her through this. And my heart was so heavy. And thinking about Andrew. And then. He reminded me, the Holy Spirit reminded me of a dream I had about three or four years prior to that, which I didn't really get, but it was a dream of Jesus and Colleen and Andrew. And I usually don't 
dream of Jesus. But it was a dream we were walking along like meadows and flowers and just beautiful greenery and beautiful gardens. And Jesus was there and Andrew had his arm around him. Colleen had her other, the three of us had our arm around his waist and he had his arm on Colleen, on Andrew, and we're walking and laughing. And I remember waking up and wondering, how was I there? And we didn't trip on each other's feet. How was, where was I? Like, I was grabbing him, but why, how did we not trip? And when he reminded me of that dream, it clicked. He was like, I was going to be with them in spirit, but he's got them. Just knowing that Jesus got my children, I felt it was okay to surrender my children to him and for me to die. So at that point, I the heaviness was lifted and I was uh, accepting that it was okay. And uh, right away, he says, don't worry, child, you're going to go on a, on a journey and you'll be back to be my ambassador. <laughs> as soon as he said that, it was like, oh, okay, I can do that. What do you want me to do? It was like, I'm ready now. Okay, I can go on a journey. And he said, I need you to relax. I said, okay. And he goes, I need you to stop thinking. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can do that. I can stop thinking. But trust me, it was the hardest thing to do is to stop thinking. Because I kept thinking whether I'm thinking or I might stop thinking. And I have an analytical mind. My brain goes all over the place. And it took a while to be able to get to the state where I wasn't thinking anymore. And, um, and I was relaxed. And then he said, child, I need you to close your eyes, to shut your eyes. But whatever happens, you are not to open your eyes. I said, okay. And he said, no, child, no matter what happens, you are not to open your eyes. Hmm. I said, okay. So I shut my eyes. And as soon as I shut my eyes, a bright light came in the room, like light that I haven't experienced in my life. It was just so bright, but it wasn't just a light. It was a presence. And I felt it was the presence of a power. Like now it was like, God the Father, that, that's the power I felt. That's how big this presence was. But I wouldn't dare open my eyes. And then to my right, the window started shaking, like as if there was an earthquake in my room, just in my room. And then I started, uh, my heart started to have palpitation. And it was slow palpitation, which was okay. And then they got faster and faster and harder. And as soon as they got harder, I got scared. And as soon as I got scared, the whole process shut down. The light went off, the glass or the window stopped rattling. My heart stopped uh, shaking or palpitating. And everything was quiet again. And I'm going, shoot, I just screwed up my death. <laughs> 
And he goes, child, this one, you can't screw up. I just need you to relax more. And I'm, and I'm so relieved that he's there and he's the <laughs> guiding me. And so I go back into that state he wanted me to be. And he goes, I need you to relax and stop thinking, child. So went back through the process of stop thinking. And as soon as I was able to get to that, then he said, remember, you're he said, shut your eyes again, but remember, you are not to open them no matter what happens. And, you know, I was okay. He goes, child, do not open your eyes. And I said, okay. And I shut my eyes and the process started. As soon as I shut my eyes, the presence came and the light came again in the room and I felt it. And then the window started shaking again. And then my heart started palpitating and then it got harder and it got harder and harder from the previous time. But at that point, I was good. I knew the process. I wasn't scared. I wanted to go through the whole thing. So I kept relaxed and then it got harder and harder. And it, it felt like my heart was going to explode. And I thought, well, that's how you die from a heart attack. And it was just so hard, but I was so relaxed and I was in so much peace. And then it stopped. And the heart relaxed, the light stopped, the light dimmed, like went away. The window stopped shaking. And I'm lying there in peace. And then he says, the next step child is only an annoyance. I said, okay. It goes, you know, the next step, child, it's only an annoyance. Only an annoyance, child. And I said, okay. And then right away, I felt pain. I felt pain whooshing, like, I remember, like, down my legs the most. It would just keep, whew, a pain that I've never experienced before. And I um, describe it as somebody just took a sledgehammer and was breaking my bones. And as that pain was happening, he was comforting me and saying, it's only an annoyance, child. It will pass. Only an annoyance. It will pass, child. And as he's saying an annoyance, and I'm thinking of it, it's not this cruciating pain. It's an annoyance, and it will pass. And I'm concentrating on him and his gentle, comforting words. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not screaming. I'm not yelling. Like I said, I have fibromyalgia. I was okay with it. The pain, the pain was there. It's not like he didn't take it away, but it didn't matter. The pain was like there, but he was more. He was more. And uh, he kept saying, it's an annoyance. It will pass. An annoyance. I kept concentrating on that and it passed. And the pain stopped and I didn't feel my legs anymore. But I realized I didn't feel my legs. I didn't feel my body. I didn't feel anything. And now at this point, I'm going, okay, am I paralyzed? And he says, yes, child, you are. 
And I'm going, no. And he goes, I'm sorry, child. And I go, can, 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 I, can I move my legs? Can I move my toes? And he goes, sorry, child. I said, can I, can I even try? He goes, try, child. And I try moving my toes and of course nothing. I am totally paralyzed. And as I'm coming to this realization, um, I hear Sam walking in the room and I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna realize I'm paralyzed and he's gonna call 911. But he came, went to his side of the bed and just went to sleep and didn't notice me. And I spent the night let me tell you, it was my the most beautiful night in my life. Paralyzed, but it didn't matter. The comforter, which we referred to him, the Holy Spirit, we referred to him as the comforter. He did not leave me one second through the night. Of course, I didn't sleep a wink. But the whole night, he was talking to me. He was downloading things, and he was teaching me uh, things in the Bible. And I remember the way he taught, he was just this perfect tutor, the perfect teacher. He wasn't going too slow, he wasn't going too fast, it was just perfect. He answered all the questions that I had over the years. And Yanaka, he, I didn't have to even ask the question, he knew all my questions. And he started answering questions like, why is there hunger? Why are there children suffering? Why, you know, the, the injustice? A lot of the questions that we all have that we don't understand why this world is so horrible. And I didn't have to ask, he just knew my questions and he went one by one giving me answers. And his answers made sense. Somehow, in this world, it doesn't make sense. We just don't understand how could there be a God and there's just so much anguish and pain. But it made sense. And I was listening to every answer. But for some reason, he erased all these answers from my mind. It's the only part of my encounter that's totally deleted. And when I look back, I realize it because these answers were all gonna um, get our, our questions answered on our deathbed. He was just pacifying me and, you know, spending the night and I was not to share these answers. So he erased them, so I never tempted to share. Uh, so it made sense, but I had visions. I just, it was the most beautiful spiritual night. I wasn't dead. I was alive, but I was paralyzed. And it didn't matter that I, what, what state am I in. Just his companionship was just beautiful. And I remember in the middle of the night, I wanted um, to go to the restroom and I forgot I was paralyzed so I attempted to get up I couldn't so I'm telling him I need to go and he goes go I said go he goes go try and I remember wetting the bed and like there was so much water coming out of my body and I say like I thought I was gonna wake up um, Sam from the water but of course Sam was in his own world 
The night passed by six o'clock, around 6 a.m., uh, break of dawn. I felt Sam get up, but he went to the restroom, came back, didn't notice me. And I continued lying there with the Holy Spirit. And around eight, I think it was around eight, Sam, I felt him waking up and turning around. And at this point, he was uh, shaking me, like pushing my back and saying, Anna, Anna, are you up? And of course, I wasn't responding. Uh, so I thought, okay, good. He's going to realize uh, I'm paralyzed. Something is wrong. He's going to take me. He's going to call 911. But he gets up. He comes on my side of the bed. And he opens the drawers, takes a pill, and he starts putting pill in my mouth. Now, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are clenched. And so he grinded the pill in my mouth. And it was a bitter taste, and I recognized it was Xanax. And I'm wondering, why is he giving me Xanax? I'm already paralyzed. Like, why would he uh, want me more limb? It didn't make any sense. And then he took out... Uh, mint and put it in my mouth and of course just left it outside my teeth and I'm thinking why is he taking the time to put a mint in my mouth like I must be stinking or something and he started taking my jewelry off and I'm going he's taking a long time to call 911 but maybe he just doesn't want me to lose my jewelry in the hospital um and then he comes around and he touches my wet clothes and goes, you wet yourself. Let me get you out of this. So I'm going, okay, he's going to, you know, put some warm clothes on, on me before he calls 911. And he start, he takes off my clothes and I'm lying there naked. And to my shock, he gets on top of me and he's raping me. No. And I'm shocked. Like, it didn't make any sense. Why is, I'm, I'm, I'm like a dead body that he's raping. And he got up when he was done and walked out and I could hear him. He went and took a shower, leaving me by that time, like I'm in the middle of the bed, naked, and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And then I could hear a heavier flow of, like he came back, I could hear water running as if he was filling a bathtub for me at this point. And I'm going, why is he running a bathtub? Like, why is, why is he calling 911? And he comes around and he pulls me off the bed to carry me off and as he's pulling me to carry me he couldn't carry me so he dropped me right at the edge of the bed and I fell on my side and I was naked I kind of was crumbled on one side and he's going I can't carry you you're too heavy and I'm going thank god I'm heavy like that point I wasn't sure what was going on but I was thankful that I was on the fat side um and then he he got up as he dropped me and he had said I can't carry you you can hear Colleen getting up in her room because she turned on the tv right away it was a Saturday morning so he left me and he went to tend to her and later on I found out 
Colleen told me that he came, he got her cereal, and he told her mom is resting. She took a few Xanaxes because she's sad over her brother in Egypt. So she doesn't want to be disturbed. And Colleen respected that. So she didn't come looking for me that morning. And I'm lying there not understanding what's going on. And suddenly I feel like he came back in the room. I could hear the door shutting. And then he starts pouring ice cold water on my body very slowly. He's just pouring from head to toe. And my body went into shock. Uh, I don't know what happened, but it felt like needles and nails all over my body. It was such a, it, it was just torture uh, at that point. I, and he was doing so and so much. And the Holy Spirit at that point, he's telling me, it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. And I'm trying to think, okay, it's an annoyance. But right away, I see a vision of uh, Jesus' hand on the ground next to my face, just the hand, as they're um, kneeling the cross in his hand. And they're kneeling the cross. And when I just kneeling like um, the nail in his hand, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As I see that vision, I'm ashamed of my discomfort. Let's like with this, what I'm going through compared to Jesus's pain with having a nail in his hand. And as soon as I saw that, what I'm going through didn't matter. It was like, it's an annoyance. I can do that. It's an annoyance. And the comforter's tummy, it will pass, it will pass. And I just hung in strong, but I wasn't anxious. I wasn't scared. I was just going through the process with the spirit that was just so comforting to me. And he stopped the water, he left the room, and I was relieved. Uh, for a few minutes and it was like oh, okay that's over 
But then he comes back in and starts the whole process again. He brought more cold water and just started doing it so slow, but just ice cold water. And again, I felt the needles and nails throughout my body and the discomfort, that torture. And then I see Jesus's hand again, and I'm reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and pain. So my own pain didn't matter and was nothing compared to his. And at the same time, the comforter saying, it's an annoyance charm. And it passed. And it passed. He stopped and he left the room again. And I was left on the floor relieved that now there, there's no more ice water on my body. Then I hear him come back in. And this time he bent over and held my nose, held it shut. And as he held it shut, I couldn't breathe because my teeth are clenched. So I'm, I'm not getting any air and I'm suffocating. But right away, uh, as he's doing this, not right away, as he's doing that, and I'm suffocating out of nowhere, I went, <gasps> and my mouth just opened up, grasped for air, like as a reflex or something. Like I feel maybe that's what the body does when we're suffocating. And as soon as I did that, he let go. He let go and just walked up. And I'm lying there on the floor going, okay, he's not going to call 911. This is bad. And because I remembered my million-dollar life insurance, I had forgotten to take him off. He was beneficiary of a half a million. We're getting the other half. And it made sense now because of the life insurance. And as I'm processing all of that, but again, I'm at peace, total peace. And processing it, now it makes more sense. He comes back in and he uh, comes back, grabs my nose the same way and he keeps holding it tight and I'm suffocating. And then my mouth again goes, <gasps> and he lets go. And he runs up as if he doesn't know what to do and leaves me there. And I'm just lying there waiting for the next step in peace, knowing that coming to realization of what's happening. This is not an accident, not just paralyzed. Something is going on here. And this time he comes back in and he grabs my nose and, but he gently puts his three fingers like that over my mouth. This is when I realized that was it. There was no way out of it. I couldn't breathe. There was no way to have a reflex. My, like, for my mouth to open, he just held it tight. And my chest now is collapsing. I can't breathe. I knew this was it. Um, I'm dying here. And the lack of breathing is happening, but 
the comforter is still there comforting me. But I see Jesus at that point, but I only see up to his like knees, he had a robe on, and I could see his hand reaching towards me. And I'm suffocating, and I can't breathe, and my chest is collapsing, but I'm seeing his hand, I'm seeing him there, and I want to go with him. I knew that he could lift Sam's hands off of me and I can breathe again, but I didn't want that. At this point, I wanted to cross over. I wanted to go with Jesus, and I was so afraid that he would go without me. I was so afraid he would lift Sam's hand, and I kept telling, I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go, and I kept on going. He didn't lift his hands. I just kept on going, and... It was, there was no realization, like there was no end and a beginning. When we die, it's not like, there's no darkness. There is no, oh, okay, this is my life. And you just keep on going. Your soul keeps on going. There's no beginning or end. And you just look back. Your body's down there, but you're kind of like free from that heaviness and you just keep on going. And as I'm going, I don't know where, but at this point, I see beautiful white sky, just a beautiful white and they're opening and they're showing me another beautiful blue sky, blue that I can't describe, just the blueness of the sky, which is so beautiful. And I'm just looking at it. And then I see these big animals flying around the sky, animals that I do, you don't recognize on earth, animals you haven't seen before, but they had these bright, beautiful, colors. Like if you notice behind me, I have all of these colors. I love this portrait. It has all these beautiful colors, but it was nothing like that. Colors that are so bright and contrasting. And the only way I can describe them as close as um, in Avatar, that movie came out later that year and they had these flying, I think they called them dragons. Uh, but these, what I saw were not dragons, but they had all these bright colors in them. And I remember when I saw this movie, I said, whoever produced it or somebody had a near death and saw something similar to that. And then I came to um, an open meadow with a lot of greenery, just uh, endless greenery. And at the end, there or far from me, I could see that they were preparing for a banquet. It felt like they're preparing. And then I noticed a bride, but her back was to me. And I was curious about that bride because I thought, oh my gosh, it's like the Bible. When you die, you become the bride of Jesus. But I wasn't sure. So I wanted to go there and look at her, look at her face and see, is that me? Who is that? I was so curious. And I tried to reach her, but I couldn't reach her. And I found myself going into a hallway. 
And in that hallway, it was like a very long hallway. And um, as I'm walking, I come, I cross by a majestic chair, like a chair that's just some majestic, I guess. And somebody was in it. And I could see it was a lady, but I couldn't see her face because it had a veil from the chair covering her and the chair to her toes or to the bottom of the chair. And I tried to make to see who is it, and I couldn't. And as I'm walking by, I asked somebody, uh, and I say, who was that woman? And he goes, she's the blessed of all. And I keep on walking. And I come to a doorway at this point. And at that doorway, I see my mom. And she, she didn't have her features. She was just a body of light waiting for me. And immediately I recognized it was my mom. We, you know each other when you cross over. There's, you know, some people ask, well, how are we gonna know each other? Are we gonna look the same? It's just a beautiful body of light, but right away you connect. You know who everybody is. And it was, beautiful seeing her and she took me in and we walked in and as we're walking in I see another body of light but a little bit taller than my mom and it was Nadia my sister and seeing Nadia in heaven was the most beautiful gift that I was allowed to see because Nadia had committed suicide when she was 35. And I always wondered where she was. Um, as we all know, like churches teach us that suicide um, is, a, is a crime. It's an act of murder. You go to hell. It's not. Um, our Father in Heaven is so compassionate. He knows what's going on with us. He knows when Nadia, she was in a deep depression. People who commit suicide are not doing it as a murder act. I'm going to, no, they're broken. They're so broken and they're in so much pain. that They feel the only way out is by ending their life. There, there is no magic pill to take to stop the pain of deep depression. It's when you're at the bottom of the pit, it hurts. I've been there and it hurts so bad. And every time you wake up in the morning, you're hurting more. And, and God saw that. God sees that and does not judge us the way we judge each other. And she was there, and it was such a relief. And I went to her. She walked me in a room. And I'm at this point in so much joy. So it was just overwhelming, just overwhelming. It, it wasn't like, oh, I'm happy. No, it's just overwhelming to the point I couldn't contain. 
I didn't know what to do with it. It was just so much. And I started complaining to Nadia and saying, I don't know what to do with it. It's so much, it's so much. Here I am complaining about joy, you know, like we always have to complain. And she looks at me and she goes, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I couldn't comprehend, I couldn't imagine it getting even better. It's like, I'm so used to a world where even if you have joy on earth, you know, something wrong is going to happen. There's ups and downs. You know, you expect something wrong to happen. But there, it was a constant joy. It's like a utopia, like from one level to another. And it just keeps on getting better. And she walks me back out and we come to the area where my mom was. And now I see my father standing next to my mom. And again, he's a body of light. And it was just so surreal to see my father. Um, my father had been killed with a car by a car accident when I was 22. And I, I never really got over it because it was such a tragic head-on-head -head collision with an 18-wheeler and uh, it was really bad. And every time I would think of what he endured the last few minutes, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, the, uh, I was told I couldn't, they wouldn't let me see him, but I was told that something went through his skull and made a hole in his skull. And I couldn't, and I would picture that and I would break down throughout my years. I would just picture mm -hmm and the pain he must have endured. But seeing him there and after what I had um, encountered with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was closure. It was beautiful. I could see that he was just shining. And as we're standing there and communicating, and I don't know how we were communicating. We weren't talking, but we were communicating. And Nadia goes, come on, hurry. We have a banquet with Jesus. And I'm going, what? <laughs> a banquet with Jesus? Like she said it so, as a matter of fact, like it was so normal to have a banquet with Jesus. And I was just astonished. Like, oh, we're just going to go see Jesus now. But they kept on going. And I, I didn't follow them for some reason. And I found myself in another room. And in that room, at the end of the room, there was... Uh, a person standing there, uh, but he wasn't a body of light. I recognized his body, and he was the late Pope Corollos, who was the Pope in the 60s for the Coptic Orthodox Church, and I loved that man. He was such uh, a beautiful soul, a kind, loving, compassionate, just spiritual, just beautiful. And I saw him and I remember he had real gray hair, but he didn't have a lot of his gray hair, but I could see him. And I'm coming towards him and he's like looking at me, he goes, where have you been child? Where have you been? And I'm like, oh my God, he's talking to me. And I look at him and I feel like I'm a child now. And I'm going, uh, I've, 
been going to Calvary Church because I had stopped going to the Coptic Church, excuse me, ever since I married Sam because he's Muslim. Of course, the Coptic Church uh, wouldn't accept us and he never got baptized in the Coptic Church. Um, so I started going to Calvary and he's looking at me and he goes, why child, why? And I said, I didn't find acceptance, compassion kind of in the Coptic church. And he said, what's your name, child? And I felt it was like a rhetorical question. I told him my name in Egyptian, which is not Anna Christina. Anna Christina is my pen name. And I told him my first name and he goes, what does it mean, child? And it means compassion. And he goes, you are what we're looking for, child. Hurry up. There is not enough time. There's not enough time. Hurry up. This, you are what we need. And he kicks me up. He's just literally pushing me out, kind of, like in a hurry. And he's in a rush. And I'm kicked out. And I walk back down that hall that I first walked in. And at that time, I come across the majestic chair again. But the lady was not in it but the veil was there and I'm walking by and I'm looking at it and I'm going, where did she go? And somebody tells me she's running an errand and I'm going, Oh, like in my mind, I'm thinking they have errands up in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I keep on walking. And then um, out of nowhere, I start seeing a face being revealed to me and it was the face of Jesus. And he was revealing it slowly, like it was covered. And like, and you can just see up to his forehead and then he's revealing his eyes and nose, and, you know, his whole face slowly, but all I could, it was his whole face. And his face was just bright and, you know, glory. There was so much glory in his face, but what I noticed in his face, he was not as handsome as the actor in the movie Jesus of Nazareth, who I grew up just watching that, and that's how I related to Jesus. He was a pretty boy with the blue eyes, just very um, calming, pretty face or handsome face, but he wasn't. Uh, he was more Middle Eastern looking, uh, Jewish, you know, he had the long nose. Uh, but in my mind, I'm saying, oh my God, you're not, like, I'm thinking he's not as handsome as I thought, but I'm embarrassed of my thought because I knew he could meet hmm. my mom. I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but I'm just like trying to. And when I think about it later on, it made sense that he wasn't handsome. I... Um, I think about it and, you know, 2000 years ago, there were so many vulnerable women uh, when Jesus was walking earth. And I could imagine if he was as handsome as that, uh, you know, movie, we would all have fallen, women would have fallen in love with him as opposed to falling in love with his glory, you know, so it made sense. Um, and then I found myself uh, watching over the freeway, like I'm now seeing the freeway uh, under me and I'm realizing how dry the land is 
compared to where I was. And then I'm in my room and I was still watching from above. And I see that Sam is on the bed and now my body is next to him. And he's holding me like, you know, both lying there, he's holding me and he's looking sad or I don't know what the heck he was thinking. Um, and as soon as I came back in my body and I jumped out of his arms and I jumped and I stood in front of the bed because I couldn't handle the fact that he was touching my body. And I jumped in front of him and I was still naked, but I wasn't um, embarrassed or anything. I'm standing there and the look on this man's face was just uh, incredible. It was just, I, I keep saying, I wish I had a camera to capture that look on his face. And here I am uh, standing in front of him and he's in shock. And now I'm mad at him and I'm trying to tell him to get out. I couldn't speak. For some reason, when I came back, I had no voice. And I'm trying to tell him to get out and I'm uh, showing him that I know I've seen what he did. Like, I don't think he realized that I wasn't unconscious. I was conscious throughout the whole thing. So I kept telling him, you know, uh, I acted out what he did, what he did to me, and so that he would know that I, I know it all. I saw what he did. I felt what he did to me. And I'm asking him to get out. And he's, he's not moving. He's going, okay, calm down. Come back. Okay, Anna, come back. Just calm down. Now I'm telling him to get out. And I grab some clothes and I'm trying to throw them out. And uh, then at that point, he's getting upset at me. He's saying that I'm not vulnerable. I'm going to come back and say, okay, what, what do you want to say? It was, I'm angry. And at this point, he threatened that he was going to go to Colleen. And I warned him, if, you know, for him not to do it. But he was able to push me out of the way and open the door and go to Colleen's room. And I ran after him. Uh, at this point, I didn't know if Colleen could see me. It was, there was some, I didn't know if I'm in the spiritual form, only he can see me. Uh, as soon as I walked in the room, I ran into the room, still naked. Colleen looked up and when she saw me naked, she was like stunned. And she goes, mom, what's going on? So when I realized she saw me, I ran and she ran with me. We both ran into the bedroom and I told her, close the door. And at that point I was able to speak. It's like, as soon as, I don't know how I got my voice back when Nicole was there and she shut the door, brought a robe, covered me. And I was back. Wow. I've never heard anything uh, like this. Uh, thank you so much for sharing in full length and all the details. Uh, I, I'm just so amazed by uh, how brave you are going through it uh, and sh being able to share it like you're doing now. It takes a lot of bravery. I just want to say that. Um, I, I'm also curious about what happened to Sam uh, later on, I just want to ask a couple of questions. Um, clearly, you had help from the Holy Spirit or, or you know, what you perceived as the Holy Spirit. Um, and then I, I get curious. Why do you think you got that 
comfort and other people don't perhaps. Now, we wouldn't know, would we, when people die and they don't come back if God is with them. Uh, but my, my thought is that a lot of people are dying without having that voice or someone being there with them. And I'm, I'm wondering if that has perhaps something to do with you praying uh, for help in the beginning or if this is also pre also predestined if you think that your experience was predestined and that perhaps on a soul level you agreed on if i'm going to go through this i will need to have help do you have any reflections around why you got the support from god basically that's a very good question yanaka and um this is what my reflection is this is what i believe i am not the only one that gets comfort from the holy spirit as we die i am no one special no matter what there there is nothing about me that is more special than anybody else in this world the only difference is I went through the process of death, not just having, you know, a lot of people have an NDE and they talk about the afterlife, what they saw after when they went to heaven. Not too many people go through death itself, walk through death, that encounter and come back and talk about it. And here I am, I went through it and as horrific as it was, I was not alone. The comforter was there with me, but the comfort will be with every, I believe the comforter will reveal himself to everybody, regardless what religion, whatever it is, and will comfort them in whatever way of death they're gonna be going through. Um, that's why a lot of parents who lost a child to a horrific method of death, and they, they find a lot of comfort when they hear my story because they've lived, they relived that death and horrific method the child went through and they have guilt and they are tortured by the guilt, by not being there, by their child suffering. Um, the child was anxious. Maybe the child was terrified and they were not there for them. All these things we relive or we uh, reimagine are not true. Their child was comforted by the comforter. I am no one special. Why would he comfort me? Who am I? And not comfort other people. He doesn't bring everybody back, okay? So I came back. There's a mission. There is something. He said, you're going to be my ambassador. It wasn't Jesus that said, I'll be his ambassador. It wasn't God. It was the Holy Spirit that is totally ignored, that I ignored. And I'm going to be his ambassador. And, and in the Bible, it said, Jesus, he just said, he's going away. He's sending us the comforter who's going to be with us. He's not going to leave us as orphanage. He's, he's our counselor. So he gave us that. It's a spirit. It's a piece of him. 
some people, like a lot of people don't know what the Holy Spirit is. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of goodness and love. And it, I feel it's a piece of him who he gave to us. Now, he gave to us throughout our life. We ignore it. Most of us do. Um, I now, I can never ignore it. He's a part of my life. But especially on our deathbed, he's going to talk to you. And I know that people on their deathbed, if they had seen, if they've listened to my, to my interviews, they may remember me and say, oh my, this woman said that. He will reveal himself. He will comfort. He does not, we don't die alone. We don't die alone. We have this beautiful comforter power out there that counsels. He coached me throughout every step until I took my last breath. Why would he do that with me? Who, who the heck am I? Nothing, nobody compared to others. Everyone is a child of God, regardless what religion, what belief, we're all made equal. We're all children of the creator and he does not prefer one over the other. No one prays harder than the other. We're, he loves us all and we all have journeys, but he comforts us all, especially on our deathbed. He will reveal himself. That's what I believe. Yeah, it, it resonates. And there's there's so much to this story. And I think uh, people would need to read the book to get all the details. Um, but what I'm, I, I, and I did want to mention also that I find it interesting that, of, of course, God is all knowing, but, you know, he knew what would happen or it or she or uh, the power knew what would happen. So it seemed like this was also predestined, which I think is interesting. Right. Uh, but I do want to ask, you know, I didn't quite understand why you became paralyzed. Uh, mm -hmm. what, why did you die, actually? Like, yeah. yeah. And what happened to Sam? Uh, because something must have happened since you are safe to share this message today. Yes. So a lot of things happened after I came back. You can imagine... Uh, the police was called. I had no signs of being paralyzed. I, the paramedic said she's as strong as a horse. They didn't know what to do with me. He pretended to be, he was a brilliant sociopath. He was like crying. And, and then I was accused of, she must be having a nervous breakdown. And they rushed me to a mental hospital rather than arresting him. Now I'm in a mental hospital. They take my daughter away from me because guess what? I walk around the house naked and like chaos just happened everywhere. And uh, Paul, who had fought me for custody all these years, this was the perfect thing. She's in she went to mental hospital, walked naked. I can take my daughter back. So he hit me below the belt when I needed him the most. Sam pretended that uh, he really cared and loved me. And there was no signs until I went... I did a brain scan to see did I get a stroke. There was nothing. I did a heart scan to see if I had a heart attack. My heart was perfect. Then my lawyer said, go get a forensic hair analysis, which I did. And that was done three months after um, my incident. And let me read to you the 
toxicologist report or doctor's report um, after the, the lab came back. And he said, I have received lab reports which indicate very high amounts of several heavy metals on her hair analysis, consistent with toxicity, possibly induced by poisoning. These abnormalities include mercury level, which is 60 times the reporting limit, selenium, 69 times the limit, antimony, 49 times the limit, lead, 280 times the limit, bismuth, 40 times the limit, but most disturbing, barium, at 2,750 times the limit. The symptoms she described, which were present at the time of her psychiatric hospitalization in January and thought to be psychotic in nature, were consistent with toxicity due to barium or perhaps mercury. So he was poisoning me slowly. And uh, when I um, wanted to go to Egypt, he must have felt he needed to finish me off that night because he's running out of time. And I believe he put the rest of the poison in the rice that night, which caused me to be paralyzed. And, and then he was trying to finish me off. I didn't die, so he didn't know what to do with me. And he was trying to either put me in the basta and with the Xanax showing that I probably overdosed uh, the love make or the raping. Sorry, that is not love making. The raping was to show that we were intimate in the morning. Hmm. So it's just he was setting the murder scene, and that is why I do. I did dedicate my book to all the souls who've been murdered by a loved one, and their voices were never heard because so many people get murdered like that. So many, and it, they get away with it. And um, they don't come back, but I'm their voice to show that you don't just drown in a bathtub. Uh, the way I reflex, like my mouth water, I believe you can't just drown in a bathtub. Somebody has to be pushing your head down because naturally you open your mouth, you grasp for air. You don't just, you know. So there's many stories out there like mine. The difference is they just kept on going. They didn't so come back. What happened to him? I mean, is he alive? Is he in jail? Well, what happened to him is a good question. I uh, I concentrated, uh, the, you know, all my energy to try to get my daughter back. But then when I got the toxicity report, I went and reported it to the Irvine Police Department. In my book, I had to change all the names and everything. And I showed them the toxicity report. I showed them the million dollar life insurance, the motive and everything. And they didn't, they were not interested in even opening, investigating. The lady was a, uh, they had an investigator uh, call me on the phone and she asked me, did he, do you have a camera showing that he put the poison in your uh, coffee or something? They didn't even want to open the case or investigate. And it didn't make sense until later on that day, that year, I read a report in the Orange County uh, that said, and it was written June 17, 2009. And it said, if it's America's safest city, it must be Irvine. 
and it was like where I was at the time. What they, it, it, I believe, they didn't even want to bring an attempted murder or anything at the time, and they ignored it. They didn't do anything, and he got away with it. Um, of course, the comforter has not left me. He doesn't speak to me in the way he spoke to me on my deathbed, but he's become my true soulmate. I discovered that he he knows he's my best friend. He's my buddy now. So um, it's also I feel it's a blessing I didn't put him in jail at that time, because when you think about it, this was back 13 years ago or so forth. He would have been out by now in an attempted murder, maybe good behavior. I'd always be watching my back. Somehow God removed him and I can move forward and tell the story, help others and not worry about how he would take revenge that I destroyed his life. He's gone. And, and I've forgiven him, Yannick. I've forgiven him. And people don't understand that sometimes. How could you forgive somebody who does that? I forgive him because he was not worth carrying his burden of unforgiveness. I'm not bitter. He, he's not worth it. He's, he's gone. Thank you so much. This has been profound. Uh, yeah, I'm deeply honored to have you on my show. Thank you so much for being here and for writing this book and for being an ambassador. Thank you. It was a real pleasure, Yannicka. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. you want to become more who you are and live in alignment with your soul's purpose and explore a deeper meaning with your life, then you are most welcome to join Wisdom from North membership. If you want to go deeper, you can find all our English online courses and programs at wisdomfromnorth.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Wisdom from North. 
Until the next episode, much light from here.